This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Seven minutes past nine o'clock. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country. A little bleary-eyed this morning, up late after midnight watching the NCAA basketball tournament last night. Uh, I stayed up to watch uh, the Oklahoma State game uh, last night. And uh, so <laughs> a little bit of a uh, uh, abbreviated night of sleep. But it, that's what we get uh, this one time of year. We're so happy to have the NCAA tournament back. Uh, of course, after last year's tournament was canceled, it's just a beautiful thing uh, to be able to go through this. And it's look, it's absolute chaos. Uh, if you have a, a bracket in this tournament, it's broken. Irrecoverably broken. You know, look, I, I don't know what, uh, you know, they do these things online, ESPN, CBS. They do, I don't know how many brackets uh, can be uh, even close to accurate. I mean, I, I just, I was looking at mine and <laughs> I've already lost two of my final four. I had Ohio State and UConn going to the final four. They're gone. We have six teams that were double digit seeds that are still alive in this NCAA tournament. And none of them, of course, any more exciting than uh, Oral Roberts, a number 15 seed that is now going to the Sweet 16. We'll get to uh, that in just a minute. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about the tournament in a minute. I just want to bring up, you know, we keep talking about, you know, the vaccines with the coronavirus and, you know, we're, we're, we're on the tail end and we got everybody, you know, relaxing all their restrictions, yada, yada, yada. And this virus has jumped up and is reminding us why we have to remain vigilant. We had a game in the NCAA tournament wiped out. This week, when Oregon and Virginia Commonwealth couldn't play, Virginia Commonwealth had to withdraw from the tournament because of positive tests in their program. That's despite all the testing, all the precautions, everything. They had to essentially forfeit their game against Oregon. It officially goes down as a no contest, so Oregon wins the game one to nothing. Um, but so number seven, Oregon advances, and VCU never had a chance. We saw in the women's tournament, Gino Ariema, the head coach for the University of Connecticut, wasn't able to be at his team's first game, or it won't be at the second game either. So, you know, this is, this is not over. Here in the state of Connecticut, the women's basketball tournament for the Shoreline Conference, three teams in the Shoreline Conference tournament have had to withdraw. Coggenshock, Valley Regional, and now just yesterday, Haddam Killingworth. I was supposed to do a playoff game tonight at Cromwell High School um, between Haddam Killingworth and Cromwell, and I got an email from the coach yesterday afternoon at 2 o'clock to tell me that the game had uh, had been canceled, that um, HK had to withdraw because of positive tests. 
Now, the Cromwell men, we're supposed to do the Cromwell men's game tomorrow night in their Shoreline Conference tournament. And guess what? They're supposed to play Haddam Killingworth. Don't know whether that's going to happen or not. If they canceled the women's game, is there a chance the men's game is going to be canceled as well? We don't know. But it's not over. You got to keep wearing your mask. You got to keep doing the right things. You know, when we see down in Miami, the spring, the kids are just going bananas. They had to put a curfew in because of, you know, people just not doing the right thing. And I know we're all tired. I know we are. I can't wait till I can go out without into a store or to a restaurant without having to wear a mask. I get it. But now is not the time to, to stop. I mean, and, and let's hope that that VCU-Oregon game is the only one in the tournament where this becomes a problem. Let's hope that this doesn't happen in other high school tournaments here in Connecticut. I, I'm concerned with this happening. You know, if it continues to happen, now all of a sudden the ideas that they had about spring sports might change. So, you know, and, and, and look, the vaccine works. There's stats this morning in the Hartford Current. Deaths among people, older people here in the state of Connecticut have dropped by 80%. Why? Because they're gotten vaccinated. 80%. Um, you know, it, we're getting there. We are getting there. You know, I've had my first first vaccine, and now starting, I believe today, anybody 45 and older here in the state of Connecticut can get vaccinated. We are getting close. Three-quarters of the people in the state of Connecticut, 65 and older, have gotten at least one dose. Three-quarters. And when we get to a point where we have three-quarters of everybody vaccinated, we're going to be in a different place. We won't have to worry as much, you know, but we're not there. And I feel bad for these kids in the basketball tournament here in the state of Connecticut. I feel really bad for the, the VCU team that, you know, weathered uh, a tough year. And, you know, these all these college teams had to do incredible things just to be able to play their seasons. And, and despite all that, they're still out. So don't let up. All right. Uh, let's get back to the tournament. Uh, last night was... Uh, fun i mean there's no oral roberts beating florida florida um the number seven seed led this game against oral roberts by 11 in the second half uh and then oral roberts closed the game on a 25 to 11 run with nine minutes left, they outscored Florida 25-11, to 11, and they end up winning the game 81-78. So good for them. You know, this is, the, this is fun. You know, we don't see 15 seeds get to the Sweet 16 very often. Um, you know, we don't see, I think it's just, this is just the second number 15 seed to get to the Sweet 16. Uh, the only other one, I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I can't off the top of my head. But we don't, so, so this is just, it's unprecedented. 
And we still have Syracuse, which is a double-digit seed, still alive in the tournament. Syracuse, a number 11 seed. We have number 13, Ohio, that beat a number four seed in Virginia. We have a number 11 seed in UCLA still alive. Another shocker, Abilene Christian, a 14 seed, beat the third-seeded Texas Longhorns in the first round. I mean, it just incredible. Uh, and and look at, you know, even Loyola of Chicago. Now, the Loyola of Chicago, they're, they're a great story. It's a lot of fun. They're an eight seed. They're not a double digit seed, but they're an eight seed. You know, and uh, it's fun because of Sister Jean, who's 101 years old, who's their big fan. Uh, they're a great story, but they also, I think, were misseeded. I mean, this is a team that was very, very good. If you, you know, I think they were twenty four and four if you look at what they did during a regular season, somebody dropped the ball there. They should have probably been a three or four seed uh but be that as it may and and number ten Rutgers uh won their first round game. they beat the number seven seeded Clemson Tigers so happy for Rutgers and Steve Peichel, the head coach an old friend of mine that used to coach at uh, Central Connecticut when I was there now they lost a tough one yesterday to Houston that was a game that uh, they were winning. Uh, for most of the game, and Houston came back and, and won it in the second half. But uh, uh, so again, if <laughs> I would love to see how many people picked Oral Roberts to win the first two games. Now I know Dan Zampano picked them to win their first game, and I I don't you know, and I don't know whether he picked Abilene Christian or not. He might have. Dan goes to a Christian school. He goes to Liberty. And Liberty uh, lost its first-round game, but it was a close game. Uh, but I think he had Oral Roberts, and I think he had Abil- He might have had Abilene Christian as well. But, you know, that's that's just kind of being a, a Christian school homer. <laughs> but, you know, nobody. I guarantee you, you know, uh, there's a handful of people, and they were probably all Oral Roberts graduates that had them winning their, their first two games. Now, their reward for that is they get to play Arkansas – in the Sweet 16, Arkansas, a number three seed. Now, they played this season already back on December the 20th. Arkansas won that game 87-76. to So they didn't exactly blow them out. And with Oral Roberts playing the way it is right now, yeah, you know what? What the heck? Give them a chance. You know, why not? Um, so right now, the only two teams I have left in my final four, are Gonzaga, who I picked to win the whole thing and Houston, Houston, which will take on Syracuse, uh, in the sweet 16. There's games tonight. Of course, uh, two of the brackets did not get their second round games in yet. Uh, top seeded, uh, number one seed Michigan will be in the East regional in action today. Uh, Gonzaga will play its second round game today. They have a number eight seeded Oklahoma in their game. Um, and, uh, it, Game I'm going to be interested to watch. Creighton out of the Big East will take on Ohio, who knocked off number four Virginia, Ohio University. After, by the way, Ohio State, another one of these these shocking games uh, that Oral Roberts beat in Ohio State. I had going uh, all the way to the Final Four, and uh, and this is madness too. One of the Ohio State players was getting death threats because they lost the game. Death threats. I mean, you know, I, I, what is it with people? I'm telling you, you know, social media is just the worst. And it, I think some of the death threats were on social media, and I know they've been reported, and I hope they're able to track down who it was, and I hope they arrest their ass. Cause, I mean, just, 
And, and you know, it's just come on. And this is, by the way, this is what sports betting will do to you. People lose their mind. When money's involved, people lose their friggin' minds. So, uh, anyway, so uh, plenty of action again today, but uh, what fun. And if you're a UConn fan, you uh, did not have a great weekend. Well, maybe you had half a great weekend because the women did their thing yesterday. But the UConn men lost to number 10 Maryland, another one of those double-digit seeds that's still alive. Maryland will play number 2 Alabama today. But UConn just was never in this game. It was, I don't want to say it was an embarrassing performance, but it was, well, it was their worst shooting night of the year. They shot just 32% from the field. It was, you know, so from that standpoint, it was brutal. Now, they out-rebounded Maryland. They were all over the offensive glass. But, look, you can't have your best player, James Booknight, look as lost as he did in this game. He was 6 for 16. 2 for 6 from the line. By the way, this is a kid that was like an 80% free throw shooter. Went 2 for 6 from the line. I felt like he came up very small. This is a guy that's supposed to be an NBA prospect. And, look, he's got a lot of talent. We've seen it. He's going to the NBA. He's not coming back to UConn. But here's the problem with Booknight in this game. There were times he was a black hole. He got the basketball, and he wasn't going to pass it. He just continued to dribble and dribble and dribble and dribble and try to find an open shot, and he couldn't find one, and a lot of times he was forcing up shots. There were a couple of times he turned the ball over because he just dribbled too much. You know, I know he's a great player, but there's other guys on the floor, and, you know, he's trying to do everything all by himself. Now, to be fair, R.J. Cole stunk. He was 3-for-12 from the field. Tyrese Martin went 1-for-10 from the field. Adama Sinogo, who has been uh, dominant inside for the Huskies this year and, and at times looked like a, a senior, not a freshman, only played 16 minutes, two for seven from the field, only four rebounds. He, you know, he couldn't play any defense. I thought that was the biggest issue was that Maryland was getting layups and dunks and they went to the basket at will. And I know one of the reasons why Danny Hurley took Sonogo out is he couldn't guard anybody, you know, and he just tried to, you know, different combinations, couldn't find anything that worked. Now, to UConn's credit, they only lost a game by nine. Uh, I'm telling you what, it, it felt like they lost a game by 20. That's how lopsided this game was. You know, so I know Book Knight's comp not coming back, and he probably shouldn't. You know, he has nothing left to prove, and if he's going to be a first-round draft pick, then he should go. You know, unless the performance in the NCAA tournament was so bad that, you know, people are, are revising their thoughts. I'm not sure physically that he's ready for the NBA yet. He, he needs to put on some weight. But, um, you know, if, if the, he indeed is going to be a first-round draft pick, he should go. But, man, what a, what a disappointing performance if that was his last game in a UConn uniform. Very disappointing. Um, so... You know, it it was a you know a tough out for the men, but you could also make the case that Maryland wasn't seated properly and wasn't given enough respect, and they really took it to UConn. UConn just looked clueless. Now, on the other side, the UConn women uh, order was restored in the universe as UConn women beat High Point yesterday, one hundred two fifty nine. This game was over in five minutes. <laughs> I mean, I, and I'm not. 
I'm not, uh, that's not hyperbole. That was, there's no question. It was a blowout. Paige Beckers was phenomenal. 24 points, shot nine for 13, nine rebounds, six assists, four steals, two blocks, 12 boxes of popcorn sold, a couple of hot dogs. I mean, she was just that good. Um, the scary thing, Nika Mule got hurt. Their starting point guard. She suffered an ankle injury. No telling yet how bad it is. She was still being evaluated, but here's the deal. The second she got hurt, they took her off the floor. They had it wrapped in ice. Uh, she was on crutches. They showed her, uh, they, she had x-rays. They still don't know what the deal is, but she's not playing in game in round two. You know, and look, they've got enough talent. It, it won't matter. Anna Makarad, who missed a good part of the season with an injury, can step into that role. Um, Aubrey Griffin will get some of those minutes as well. They've got enough talent that we don't have to worry about what's going to happen. This isn't like UConn's five deep. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see, but... No Gino Ariema, no problem. Uh, situation normal. And the women's tournament in general, it would it went according to Hoyle. I mean, it was uh, there were no upsets, really. I mean, all the top seeds rolled. Uh, Baylor, one of the best teams in the country, they won their game 101 to 52. Similar score to UConn. Tennessee rolled big. Uh, uh, South Carolina beat won their game by 26. I mean, it just, it, it, you know, that's the issue. That's the difference in men's basketball versus women's basketball. And, and this isn't me dumping on women's basketball. This is just the amount of talent in men's basketball that is spread out to so many different teams and so many different schools is way different than in women's basketball. There is a – look – You've got the probably the eighth player on UConn's bench or ninth player on UConn's bench would start for most other teams around the country. All right, that's the difference, you know, and same thing with South Carolina. You know, the girls deep down in their bench would start for somebody else. Same thing at Stanford. You know, it's so, you know, you've got, I think there are probably six schools that have a chance to win the women's basketball tournament. I think there's probably only four real good chances, but I think there's six that, you know, a couple of teams, if they get on a roll, you never know. But, I, uh, you know, with the men's tournament, there's no telling. I don't think, look, I don't think Oral Roberts, a 15 seed, is going to roll through and win this tournament. But do I think that a team like 11 seeded Syracuse could win it? You betcha. Do I think Maryland could could win this based on what I saw? You betcha. Fifth seeded Villanova, even despite the fact that they don't have their point guard, their their star player who's out for the rest of the season. Do I think they could roll and get through this? Sure. But you're not going to see a fifth seed in the women's basketball tournament win it or get to the final four. It's not going to happen. Um, the biggest story out of the women's tournament wasn't even on the court. It was the absolute travesty that the NCAA allowed to happen with their facilities. One of the players from Oregon on social media posted a video showing the weight room for the women during the tournament in their hotel. 
It was one rack of weights. That was it. Then she said, let me show you the men's weight room. It was fully outfitted. It was ridiculous. And it is an absolute outrage. Now, the NCAA got embarrassed, as they should have. They quickly fixed it, and they were like, well, you know, it was a, a, uh, a miscommunication. You know, a miscommunication. Uh, this was just, it was awful. And in this time, with all the issues with equality, with not just uh, with, you know, racial equality, but equality between the sexes, to have that happen in the premier college tournament in the world, to have this happen, inexcusable. Somebody's head's got to roll. Again, they fixed it, and they quickly showed a video right after that of what it looks like. And and the girl from Oregon, you know, she was, like, very thankful. She went back on social media when she showed the new weight room and was, like, thanking everybody and showing the power of social media. And to be sure, social media does have power. Sometimes not good power, but it does have power. But it embarrassed the NCAA. I mean, I just... And, and by the way, there are NCAA representatives. That's the way this works. The NCAA will have a rep at every site, in every hotel, at every game. They are there to watch all these things. Who in the hell was at that hotel, walked those facilities, and said, oh, yeah, it looks great. Somebody screwed up. I mean, I'm glad they fixed it, but, man, talk about a PR nightmare. So... Men's tournament continues tonight. Women's tournament, uh, the second half of the opening round games will be tonight, and there's uh, uh, the second round or the second half of the round of 32 games for the men's tournament tonight. And, uh, and look, I'm going to keep at this point with my, my bracket completely blown up, I'm rooting for every upset. I hope every lower seed wins just to continue the chaos because it's great. 29 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Monday morning. Uh, before we get to uh, baseball news from yesterday, some pro basketball from yesterday. The Celtics showed some signs of life, uh, beating the Orlando Magic 112-96. to Before we get too carried away, the Orlando Magic <laughs> right now are our last-place team. Uh, to be sure, the Celtics needed the win. It was a, a big third quarter, the difference. Uh, Jalen Brown last night, huge game, 34 points, 10 of 18 from three-point range. Uh, Celtics with five players in double figures. Jason Tatum had 23. Uh, Daniel Tice with a decent game, 13 points and 11 rebounds. Uh, Kemba Walker had 14, shot the ball pretty well. Uh, overall, just a dominating effort from the Celtics. Look, you know, I don't have an answer. They're back to 500. They've got a tough week this week. They're going to be on the road. They have a four-game three-city road trip this week. It starts tonight in Memphis. If they are going to have any chance to make a run at anything this year, they've got to figure it out, and they got to do it now. Now, you could say, well, look, they're, they're going to make the playoffs, and you know they could figure it out in the playoffs. No, it, it doesn't work that way. They've got to get some kind of rhythm going, and they just haven't been able to find it. 
and uh, they shot the ball well yesterday, and you know, which was nice to see because they have been uh, uh, futility personified recently. But they shot the ball at a forty-six percent clip last night, forty-three percent from three. That'll win you a lot of games. Only went to the line nine times last night. So, good win for the Celtics, but uh, I'm not going to get too giddy yet because there is a long, long way to go for this team. By the way, we were talking about the COVID thing at the start of the program. Uh, the, the Boston Bruins won't play again until I believe it is Thursday now. They had two games postponed, one over the weekend, and then tonight's game against the Islanders has also been postponed because four of the Bruins have tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, including David Pasternak. So uh, no Boston Bruins hockey for at least a few more days. And look, these guys have to quarantine, and hopefully it's not going to go beyond that. But again, you know, and they're getting ready to open up the TD Garden this week to fans. But here we go. The, 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 The coronavirus is still there you know uh, we've been lucky in baseball so far nothing yet and again I still think that a lot of this well with baseball you're not going to catch the virus during a game all right it's outside all right so I I'm not that worried about it but my my concern is this I don't think that the Bruins players that have tested positive those four players I don't think it had anything to do with playing a game I think, you know, they contracted the virus outside. They're, when they went home, they're not in a bubble anymore. They still have to live their lives. They still have to be around their families. Their kids may be going to school or their wife goes to work or she goes to the grocery store or whatever. There's, so you then, they have contact with other people. So, you know, David Posternock maybe wasn't exposed directly. It could be he could have been exposed so many different ways because everybody that his wife or his kids had contact with could bring it home. So I, I'm not, I don't think that it's happening during games. I mean, if it was, we'd have an outbreak and nobody would be playing because that would mean that the Bruins got it maybe in their game against the Buffalo Sabres, you know, last week. And uh, But nobody on the Sabres has come down with it. So I think it has nothing to do with the games themselves. But obviously, once you test positive, they can't play the games. I get that. You know, and so I'm not worried on baseball from the standpoint of guys getting it during spring training or during the season. But unless, and, and I've talked about this, unless you essentially put your family under house arrest, there's always going to be that risk until the vaccinations are, you know, worldwide, nationwide. And supposedly, according to Joe Biden, as of May 1st, it's open season. Anybody can get the vaccine. So theoretically, come June, everybody will have had the opportunity to get their two shots. And we should be in a completely different place. That's if everybody does their part. And an, an alarming thing, I saw a story this weekend in the, in the uh, I think it was in the Hartford Current. Do you know that two-thirds of our military have indicated they are not going to get the vaccine? They want to opt out? That's our military. That's not a good look. 
And again, I don't how you can't compel them. I don't believe. Now maybe you can because they're under orders. I I I don't think so though. But you know, if if that attitude becomes prevalent all over the country, then we've got a problem. And there are people that were Donald Trump supporters, by the way. And despite the fact Donald Trump kind of got shamed into coming out and and making a statement that his uh, that all his supporters should get the vaccine, there are still a lot of them that have said they are not going to get the vaccine. If that attitude becomes prevalent, we've got a problem. So let's hope, you know, that's not the case. You know, and let's hope that, that you know, by June or July, as, as everybody seems to think, that we're going to be okay. But, I, again, I don't think the Bruins cases had anything to do with playing a game. I don't think, you know, I don't think that baseball players are in danger outside of catching it. It's what happens at home. And you know what? And, and, and I know it's easy for me to say put yourself essentially under house arrest or your family under house arrest and just don't leave. And you're going to say, well, that's, you know, that's not right. But I'm also going to say, if I'm a baseball player, if I'm, for instance, Mike Trout, and I have a young child at home that's a year old, okay, and I'm making $40 million a year, okay? If I'm Mike Trout and I'm making $40 million bucks a year, I damn well can keep my family under house arrest. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because there's nothing stopping you. You can you can get gourmet food delivered home for forty million bucks a year. You can have everything delivered because you can afford it. It's not as easy for the average Joe to do that. But these professional athletes that are making you know monopoly money, they can damn well afford to keep their families under house arrest if they need to. And you know what? The family shouldn't fight that. The family should be like, hey, you know what? We're being allowed to live a incredible lifestyle because of what my husband or my wife does. You know, in professional sports, the least I can do is suck it up and stay home and not go shopping or, you know, not take the kids to the park, you know, find a way, you know, we can build a playscape in the backyard. The kids can play in the backyard. They don't need to go to the park. I'm just saying, you know, it doesn't seem like that big of a stretch to me. Of course, easy for me to say because I'm not in those shoes. Uh, All right, let's get to baseball yesterday. The uh, Red Sox. Nick Pavetta took the mound yesterday. And look, we're down to the last week of spring training. We're at a point now where starting pitchers should be going five, six innings, getting close to 80, 90, 100 pitches to start to stretch themselves out to be ready to make uh, a regular season start. So the results now that we're getting for pitchers become more important in my mind. Nick Pavetta yesterday, who right now is, you know, the one of the starters in the Red Sox rotation, one of the five, had pitched very well in spring training. Looked great. Yesterday, he goes out and plays the Pittsburgh Pirates. And by the way, the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be one of the worst teams in the National League. They are arguably, arguably going to be one of the worst five or six teams in baseball this year. Nick Pavetta goes out against them yesterday and gives up Six hits, six runs, and walks three guys in four innings. And even when he was getting outs, they were hitting the ball hard. That's a concern. You know, and 
uh, he was he couldn't find the strike zone. His fastball, everything was up. All his fastballs were up. You know, he he'd drop in a good you know breaking ball every now and then, but every fastball he tried to throw, he could not hit his spots. So he was pitching from behind constantly. That's a concern. You know, look, Erod has looked really good. Uh, Nathan Avaldi has not looked great. Garrett Richards looked good early. His last start, he got whacked. Martin Perez on Friday got drilled. You know, I'm at a point now where I'm getting very concerned about this Red Sox team. And there's a lot of people saying, oh, this, this Boston team is going to be sneaky good. This Boston team is going to go as far as its starting pitching can take them. And based on what we saw over the weekend, and I don't, uh, you know, in the last three starts, it, it was Perez, Ivaldi, and Pavetta, three guys in your rotation, got hammered and couldn't throw strikes. I know it doesn't count for another week, but I'm telling you, I have huge concerns. I have huge concerns about a lot of things. The lineup, you know, the lineup I know is going to score runs, but at the same time, J.D. Martinez, everybody's excited about the fact that, you know, you know, he's got video back, so he's going he's gonna to be able to fix himself. Well, J.D. Martinez is hitting 243 this spring. That's not very good. Uh, he did walk a couple of times yesterday, but he hasn't hit a home run this spring. Alex Verdugo can't get out of his own way this spring he is three for 23 you know they've got some key members of this team that have not found their stroke yet Raphael Devers he's had a couple of home runs but he's hitting 189 you know your hitting stars for the Red Sox this spring have been guys like Bobby Dalbeck, Michael Chavis uh you know guys uh, Enrique Hernandez has hit the ball pretty well, which is good to see because he's going to be in the lineup every day. But some of these guys that are going to be in the middle of your lineup and guys that you're going to have to rely on have not hit the ball well yet. Again, we got a week to go. And at what point do we push the panic button? So I'm not sure this team is going to be sneaky good. Uh, look, I don't want to be a pessimist because – I want the Red Sox to win. It makes my life a lot better, and I'm sure it'll make my wife Barbara's life a lot better because I'm not going to be grumpy all the time after watching them every night. But I, I'm, I'm worried. You know, and people are going to point to the fact, well, the Red Sox have a $204 million payroll. They should be good. It's, they have the third highest payroll in baseball. You know what? And that's true from a, from a uh, ledger book standpoint. On the books, the Red Sox payroll is $203.8 million. The only teams that have higher payrolls are the Dodgers at $256 million and the Yankees at two hundred and four. However, one of the things that you have to realize, of that $203.8, million, $32 million of that is dead money. What do I mean by dead money? It's guys that aren't on the team anymore that the Red Sox are still paying. For instance, do you know the Red Sox are paying David Price $16 million a year to play for the Dodgers? They are giving the Dodgers $16 million this year to offset David Price's salary. So there's $16 million of your 203.8 right there. They're paying the Kansas City Royals $2.8 million 
to offset the salary of Andrew Benintendi, who they just traded to the Royals. So, so they're paying Andrew Benintendi essentially almost three million bucks to play for another team. So that's nineteen million dollars to two teams for guys you don't have on your roster. And then they're paying thirteen million dollars to Dustin Pedroia, who just retired because it was the end of his contract. That's the thing with baseball. These contracts are all guaranteed. So $32 million of dead money, guys that aren't even playing. So, you know, that 203.8 suddenly becomes more like 171.8, which puts them, by the way, in the middle of the pack in terms of salary. So their payroll number is very, very deceiving. Uh, that $32 million bucks, by the way, it's twice as much dead money as anybody else in Major League Baseball is paying. What does that tell you? It tells you that the previous GMs made some bad, bad deals. Uh, half of that $32 million will be gone after this season, but they still have to pay half of David Price's salary through the 2022 season. But now, next, so next year their dead money will only be $16 million instead of $32 million. But it's still... You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff just drives you absolutely crazy. It is 46 minutes past the hour. Got to take another break. Back in a minute to wrap things up. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. Other uh, news around baseball, the Yankees. Uh, we talked about Nick Pavetta struggling and, uh, you know, that, that Red Sox rotation looking a little shaky well the Yankees don't have any worries at least at the top of the rotation uh Garrett Cole the ace of their staff went out yesterday and threw five innings he struck out uh eight in five innings walked just one he gave up four hits and one run no worries as far as the Yankees go look that rotation is is starting to lock itself in Jordan Montgomery has pitched well it looks like he is going to lock up a spot you know, they are going to be, uh, you know, you can make a case maybe that the the four or five slots a little bit shaky, but that Yankee rotation right now far better than what the Boston Red Sox have. And the Yankees went out yesterday. They they annihilated uh, the Toronto Blue Jays 8-3. to three. If you're a Blue Jays, uh, you got to be a little bit concerned. Tanner Roark, a second straight awful outing in the spring. He gave up eight hits and seven runs. In two and a third innings, he got so he got five outs. Now all five outs were strikeouts. You know the problem is, is anytime anybody put the ball on the bat, uh, they absolutely ripped it. So uh, looks like the Yankees are going to be as advertised uh, this season. The New York Mets yesterday beat the Nationals six to two. Uh, again, the story here: Jacob Degrom, another great outing in the spring, went four and two thirds, five strikeouts, three hits, no runs. Uh, he has pitched to a 0.66 ERA this spring. Edwin Diaz, the guy that is supposed to be their closer, another great outing, a scoreless inning, struck out a guy he has not allowed to run this spring. Uh, Dylan Patances, for the first time, managed to pitch well uh, out of the bullpen for the Mets. Uh, Max Scherzer got the start for Washington yesterday. Their ace went five innings, gave up six hits and four runs. Struck out six, walked one. Uh, but that was the kind of the first time he's been touched up at all this spring. He had looked pretty good, you know, and this is a guy that uh, uh, is going to be making his sixth straight opening day start for the Washington Nationals. As a matter of fact, that game will be against the New York Mets, so this was kind of a preview 
uh, of the opening day game between these two teams. Uh, the other news out of the Mets camp is uh, Francisco Lindor and the Mets are talking about an extension. Uh and according to John Heyman of MLB Network, and, you know, I, you could take that with a grain of salt, I guess, um, Lindor is looking for $300 million. Uh, at least. Now, if you're looking at it, if you're Lindor, you look at the fact that Fernando Tatis signed a $340 million deal with the Padres. Now, it was for 14 years. Uh, Mookie Betts got 365 over 12 years from the Dodgers. So obviously that $300 million figure is big. It's just going to be a question of how many years. Look, Lindor's 27 years old. If you're the Mets, are you willing to do 10 years and $300 million for Lindor? $30 million bucks a year knowing that in, at the end of that contract he's going to be 35, 36, 37, and he may not have the same value? You know, that's the question. Uh, we know Steve Cohen, the new Mets owner, is not afraid to spend money. But at some point, uh, you know, you have to wonder where the rubber will meet the road here. And Lindor has said if we're going to get an extension done, it has to be done before the season. He will not negotiate during the season. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's just uh, but, you know, you're playing Russian roulette here because if you don't get it done before the season, will Lindor just decide that, he's going to walk in free agency or or put himself out to the highest bidder. And if you're the Mets and you've got him locked up and he seems happy, at least in the early going, of course, I think Francisco Lindor is happy the moment he gets out of bed. This guy that never, you know, always has a smile on his face. Um, but uh, if you're Francisco Lindor, you know, how much do you like New York? And I don't think the New York spotlight is going to be a problem for him. So I think he will be well-suited for New York. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, Steve Cohen's got obviously some other issues. He's got, you know, DeGrom and Syndergaard and Michael Conforto he's got to do something with. He's got some other players on that team that he is going to have to figure out how to pay. And so how high can he afford to go? We'll see. Um, the other thing out of Mets camp is that Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, former presidential candidate, uh, has been asked to join the board of directors for the Mets. <laughs> How about that? Uh, now, uh, Christie's son, Andrew, has actually uh, uh, worked for the Mets since 2018. He's the Mets coordinator of international scouting. Um, so, uh, I mean, I don't know what Chris Christie joining the board of directors has to do with it, you know, whether it's, he's going to do anything. Maybe he's got some political connections that can help Steve Cohen at some point. But uh, so just thought it was uh, one of those uh, interesting things. Other news out of spring training yesterday, the guy that everybody is, the buzz is about this spring is in Angels camp is Shohei Otani. The two-way player who ended up with Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago, they just let him des be a designated hitter last year. Well, this year he has said he wants to go back to being a two-way player. He wants to play the outfield, and he wants to continue to pitch. Uh, well, yesterday he went out and pitched through four innings, uh, gave up just two hits and one run. He struck out five, walked a couple. He is, you know, pitching-wise, he seems to be a little bit far behind, but that's because, of course, he, didn't, he hasn't pitched in two years. Um, at the plate this spring, he's been ridiculous. He had two more hits yesterday uh, batting as the pitcher. He, had, he was in the leadoff spot. He went two for two and walked. Uh, his batting average this spring, 636. He's hit a couple of bombs that probably are still 
uh, haven't landed. He hit one the other day to dead center field over the batter's eye that must have gone 450 feet. It was a missile. Uh, so uh, everybody keeping an eye on that. Albert Pujols, by the way, entering the last year of his contract, and there has been some talk about whether he'll retire or not. He hit his first spring training home run uh, yesterday, and he's hitting 394 this spring. And again, I know it's just the spring, but, you know, Albert's, what, 41 years old, hitting 394 in the spring. If you're an Angels fan, gives you some optimism. Gives me some optimism. I picked the Angels to win the American League West this year. A lot of people looked at me like I was nuts. But we'll see. I I, I think I could be right. I could be right. I'm 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 excited about the Angels this year. Uh, and uh, the Kansas City Royals yesterday signed Salvatore Perez to a $82 million extension over four years. Uh, by the way, that is the to show you the difference in like the, we're talking 300 million for Francisco Lindor. Uh, that $82 million four-year deal is the richest in club history. And it begins after his current contract ends in 2022. So that will keep him uh, with the Royals through at least 2025. And there's a club option for the following season for $13.5 million. Uh, so uh, Perez, a great defensive catcher, uh, will be staying with the Royals for the foreseeable future. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Lots of basketball to watch today. Both the men's and the women's tournaments continue uh, so I hope you can join us for tomorrow's show as we break all that down. We leave you this morning with some music from Philip Phillips. Gone, gone, gone. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.